Hi, I'm Samantha. Hi, I'm Sarah. And, and we, we are, are the, the Doom, Doom Crew. Damn you! Hey nerds, welcome back to the Doom Crew. I'm Samantha, and this week we have a special guest. Uh, my mom is visiting from the Midwest, and so she's down here in Texas, so she is going to accompany us on this episode today. Welcome, Samantha's mom. Thank you. <laughs> um, this week, I'm going to be covering the Chowchilla bus incident. And I'm going to be talking about a savage surgeon. Ooh. All right, so we said I'm going first? Yep. All right. Frank Edward Ray, who went by Ed, was driving 26 students of Dairyland Elementary School home from a class trip to the swimming pool on July 15, 1976. Students ranged from just 5 years old to 14 years old. Oh my god, this is a kid's case. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Most kids were under 10. It was about 4 p.m. when Ed noticed a van blocking the road ahead. Ed stopped the bus and was approached by three men, and he knew something must be up. They all had nylon stockings over their face. (laughs) Big red flag. Larry Park, Park, who was just six years old when this happened, recalled where their eyes were. It was like, it almost looked hollow. It was like looking at death. Oh. One of the men held a gun on Ed. One got in the driver's seat for the school bus, and the third went back to their van and began following the bus as they pulled away. The kidnappers drove the bus to Berenda Slough, a dry fork of the Chowchilla River. There, the children and Ed saw another van, green this time instead of white. Both vans had their back windows painted black, which I always find comforting and cozy. (laughs) Don't you agree? Yes. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, the vans also had their interior reinforced with wood paneling. Does that make it more cozy? Yes. Oh, okay. Great. Um, So they backed these vans. (laughs) I totally had a reaction written out where you were going to be like, no. And I was like, oh, you're hard to please. So they backed the vans up to the bus directly, and at gunpoint, the pantyhosed men forced Ed and all of the children into the two vans. This prevented the children from leaving any footprints. Then the men started driving away. Later, survivors said this about the capture. Jody Heffington said, It's a hard thing to explain, because I never been around guns. You only seen bad guys in movies with stockings on, you know. So I knew it wasn't good. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Is this a kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jennifer Brown Hyde, well, Brown when she was a child, Brown Hyde when interviewed as an adult. She was just nine and said, Edward kept telling the kids to just be quiet, sit down, and do what they say. Edward was speaking in a harsh tone, and that was normally not the Edward that we knew and loved. Eventually, the bus went off the road down into the dry riverbed. Larry Park, again, who was six, said, Into this big grove of bamboo that were taller, actually, than the bus. I was wondering how it was going to feel to die. I was too scared to move. Jesus. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer continued, inside the vans, it was pitch dark. With the paneling inside, there were no windows that could be seen through other than the front windshield. Meanwhile, back at home, parents were starting to notice their children weren't home from their trip to the pool. Mother Joan Brown said they weren't there. No peanut butter on the counter, no chairs out. Well, they just weren't there. I'm sorry. I know. It's not what I would say. But it's just like, they're, yes. After a couple of hours of the children being late, parents started calling the police. The police, along with the concerned parents, began to retrace the school bus route, taking all kinds of rural roads in between areas to see if anyone could spot anything that might lead them to their children. Just before sunset, an officer in the air spotted the bus less than 10 miles outside Chowchilla in that riverbed. 
A sheriff stated that it would only be visible by air and no one would have been able to see it just driving by. That's how well hidden this bus was. Deputies found the bus empty, but saw the tire tracks leading up to the front door of the bus. Sheriff Ed Bates immediately knew he was in over his head with 26 children missing. He called the governor and said, I need some help down here. That's a quote. (laughs) (laughs) The parents had all been advised to meet at the fire station to get updates from the police. Sheriff Bates said you could just see the anxiety and fear written all over their faces. He told them that he contacted the FBI and they showed up immediately. 30 FBI agents descended on the town. Obviously, that was a long time ago. Yes. But I mean, 26 kids missing. Valid. That's I mean, a lot of fucking kids. If, you're, if Jackson went to school and his bus went missing, you'd want the FBI there. Yeah, I don't know what I would do. Yeah, I'm right. handle it well. <laughs> yeah, I figured this story was going to be like, what the fuck? A little bit. I'm already scared of him going to school. <laughs> I know. So, uh going great okay thanks yep you're so welcome so getting back to the kids let's take a second to remember their circumstances they're in the back of two different creeper vans that have paneling on the sides backs etc in the middle of july in california there is zero air conditioning in the back for those kids some of the kids tried comforting one another during their captivity in the vans Jody Heffington said that they would bang on the panel, separating them from the drivers, pleading to be let go and let out of the hot van. The drivers just yelled back, shut up. Jennifer Brown Hyde said some of her younger friends, who were only five and six, came over, laid on her, and cried. Jennifer told them to be brave because it was going to be all right. She said they drove for hours and hours and hours. After 11 hours... In the vans. Those kids had lots of accidents. Yeah. All right. 11 hours in the van. They said the vans started to slow down. Everyone could feel the vans pull off to the side of the road, and they were rocking side to side on a very rough road of sorts before finally coming to a stop. The children and Ed had arrived at a quarry in Livermore, California. Once they'd parked in the quarry, in the very early morning hours of July 16, 1976, the men began the final part of their plan. First, they opened the van with Ed in it and ordered him out alone. Do we get to a motive? What do you mean? Why the fuck did they steal 26 kids? Do we find that out? We, we will, yes. Okay. And they're very stupid and no one's hurt. So it's okay that you're laughing. Ed stepped out of the van, and then the kidnapper shut the door again. The kids couldn't hear anything from inside the van. Then the door flew open again, and they grabbed the first kid they could get their hands on, and the door shut again. Silence. Then they opened the door again, grabbed a child, and shut the door. Over and over and over. Jody said that after the door closed after a kid, you didn't see the kid again. And when the door came back open... You couldn't see them at all. She thought the men were killing the kids one by one. Oh, that would be so scary. Yeah. It, like, five years old, the oldest is 14. But five years, Jackson's age. If they didn't have accidents yet. They had to have. They were peeing their pants. They had to I would have. be peeing my pants. Yeah. I'm an adult. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Marshall was one of the oldest kids in the group at 14. He and Monica Artery, the youngest of the entire group at five years old, were the last ones on the second bus. Michael said that because he didn't know what was happening to kids outside that he couldn't bear to hand Monica over to the men. So Michael walked forward when the van doors opened. He said he had to take her hands from his and rip them away, literally tear the two of them apart. He said he just kept promising her it would be okay and just to go with them when they asked her to. Jennifer kept scooting to the back of the first van, hoping that if she hid in the corner, they wouldn't come for her. But they did. All 26 children and Ed were forced to climb down a ladder through the ceiling of a moving truck. The moving truck had been stocked with a small amount of food, water, and mattresses. The men had cut holes in the wheel wells for them to use as toilets. The kids reported hearing fans, so they knew there was some sort of ventilation happening. Oh, 
but there's one small detail I haven't told you about. The truck was buried 12 feet underground. Oh my God, no. Why? Yeah. Why? Michael was the second to last <laughs> kid to make it down into the truck early in the morning of July 16th. Probably like 5 a.m.-ish is the rough estimate of time. And Monica, the five-year-old, followed soon after. Uh, everyone was together again, but Michael said their sense of relief didn't last long. The kidnappers took the ladder up and out of the truck, threw in a single roll of toilet paper, and said they'd be back for them later. The kidnappers put a manhole cover over the hole in the top of the truck and weighed that down with 100-pound batteries. Where the hell are you getting 100 pounds of batteries? No, for the for like trucks. Oh, yeah, that's I know. I thought that too. I was like, I how many batteries is that? <laughs> like, that's a lot, right? Put them in a no. duffel bag. Um, then they began to bury them alive. Why? I still don't understand. Uh-uh. You don't get it either, right? Uh uh-uh. uh. Larry Park said that Ed and Michael Marshall immediately started looking at every corner, every wall, trying to find an escape route. They tried to get under the manhole cover and push it. They didn't realize it had been weighed down with those heavy-ass batteries, and they couldn't move it. Ed told everyone that they all needed some rest. Michael said that it would be silent for a bit, and then one kid would start crying. And then it would just erupt. Everyone was crying. He said that what made him cry was thinking about how he didn't get to say goodbye to his mom. And that he wishes the last time he'd seen her that he would have told her goodbye. That gave me goosebumps. I know. During this day, July 16th, parents and family of the missing children came to the command post at the fire station to try to put together pieces and locate their children. The news noted that they hadn't had any word from the abductors. Like, no one had called. Nothing. For ransom. Mm-hmm. By this time, the children and Ed had been buried underground for about 12 hours. So we're about 24 hours post-abduction. Jennifer said that they'd eaten all the food at this point, and the fans on the ventilators had stopped working. Great. Yeah. She said that she was starting to grasp the concept that they really might not get to go home. Larry said one little boy kept kicking blocks out from underneath the four by four pillars that were supporting the roof (laughs) of the cargo area of the moving truck where everyone was. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) The roof of the van was starting to cave in. Kids were screaming and crying. The sides of the van were starting to bow inward. Larry said he knew he was going to die. He was six at this time. That's so sad. The older kids and Edward decided that if they were going to die, they were going to die trying to get out of this truck. The older kids and Ed stacked some of the mattresses that had been left for them under the hole in the roof. Kids stood on top of each other's shoulders to help stack. Everyone that could took turns pushing at the manhole cover. I lost my place. (laughs) There we go. Eventually, they got it moved enough to squeeze Michael out of the hole. But that wasn't the end of the problem. On top of the two truck batteries that the men had put on the manhole cover, they'd also put dirt and constructed a wooden box around the manhole cover. Once the manhole cover was gone, there was just enough room for Michael to stand in the constructed box. He started beating and pounding at the sides of the box. Larry Park said that Michael had no quit in him that day. He said that he knew Michael was exhausted, but that he never gave up. The kids didn't know who or what would be waiting for them on the other side of the box. For all they knew, the kidnappers were going to be standing there with guns drawn at them, ready to fire at any second. But suddenly, sunlight. A beam of sunlight came down into the opening of the truck. Kids said the dust particles in the ray of sun reminded them of shooting stars and that when fresh air hit them, they knew they were going to get out. Aww. Yeah. They started getting kids out of the hole. Ed stayed in the truck and helped everyone climb up the mattress pile and out the hole to safety. It was about 8 p.m. on July 16th. 16 hours had passed since they'd entered the box truck. The children looked around and said it looked like the Flintstones. 
Remember, they're in a quarry. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought that was so cute. Um, they said some, um, or they saw some conveyor belts and excavators, and some men in hard hats came up and asked them who they were and what they were doing there. They were far enough away from home that they hadn't heard anything about a missing bus full of children. Like, I don't know, bro. I'm it, just here. Yeah. Can we fucking home? It turns out they were about 100 miles from Chowchilla in Livermore. When police finally arrived, they photographed every child as evidence. Then they transported the children and Ed to the closest place that could hold them all, a local jail. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, it was called the Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center. Now, <laughs> why are you laughing? Clearly, this is hilarious, okay? Because I wrote this while I had COVID. My next joke is, now we know why Greenville has so many rehab centers. <laughs> it's for all the children who might get buried alive in quarries. <laughs> I know. They have a lot of rehab centers. They do. We were noticing it right before I wrote this. Um, did I mention they put them all back on a bus to transport them? No, thank you. Yeah, they put, they did. So they put the children into what appeared to the children to be classrooms. They gave them apples and things to drink. And then the children were examined by doctors. Um, the children were given coveralls that were made for adults. (laughs) Jennifer Brown Hyde remembered that some children rolled up the pants and arms a ton to make them fit. But some left the sleeves long and flapped their arms, saying, hey, we can fly. <laughs> Little kids are so innocent. Right? How can you do that to babies? Yeah. Just wait. We're going to get into it. The children and Ed were all brought in individually to talk to police and give their account of the events. This all took about four hours, and then finally, the children were gathered onto a Greyhound bus and escorted back to Chowchilla. When they arrived back to town, it was a wild scene. News cameras, TV lights, desperate parents. News reporters. uh, Sorry, I mistyped that. I wrote news reported. (laughs) News reporters peppered the children with questions about their well-being and what had happened. Are you all right, Jennifer? Hi, Mike. How are you doing? What was the pit like? The children got through the crowd and sank into their parents' arms, finally feeling safe for the first time in about 36 hours. When later interviewed on the news, Jennifer Brown Hyde was asked why she thought the kidnappers would do something like this, and she replied, I don't know. They didn't have enough love. (laughs) Why? (coughs) They didn't have enough love, Sarah. They didn't. I know. Jennifer's mother said that she continued to have nightmares. She said Jennifer would wake up and run screaming into her parents' room while still asleep. Jennifer would tell her mother and father that she'd been dreaming that they were lined up and shot. Oh. Yeah. Well, they didn't have a Sorry. Now, whose sick idea was this, and what was the point? You've been asking. A couple times. Lay down, drama queen. Yeah, Hades, you too. You're already laying down, though. Lavender, lie down. Come here. Come here. Following the escape and rescue of the children and Ed, investigators searched the rock quarry and the buried truck for clues. They hadn't heard from any kidnappers and had no leads on why this happened in the first place. They started by asking who might have keys to the quarry overnight. 24-year-old Frederick Newhall Woods IV quickly became a person of interest. He would have had access to the keys. He was the son of the quarry owner. That sentence I have exactly twice, one right after another. (laughs) I was like, what? Investigators looked at the ledger for the quarry, surveillance tapes, and talked with security guards. It was starting to come together. The guards had seen three young men digging a rather large hole in the quarry a couple of months before the incident. One of them was identified as Fred Woods. Woods had a record. Two years prior, he'd been charged with Grand Theft Auto. Now, he didn't steal that car by himself. No, no. He had the help of two friends, James and Richard Schoenfeld. All three boys were from wealthy families who lived in San Francisco's nicest suburbs. 
They escaped the Grand Theft Auto charge with just a fine and probation. But why would this wealthy kid do this? What is his motivation to kidnap 27 people, mostly fucking tiny children, and trap them underground? And then never call for ransom? What the fuck was going on here? So why? Investors. Investors. (laughs) The people who are all affording this uh, advance. Yeah, everyone who wanted to pay for this. Okay. Investigators executed a warrant to search Fred Woods' father's estate. They found so much shit, including one of the guns that had been used during the kidnapping. It turns out Fred had collaborated with his two best friends again, and they'd been planning this for a very long time. 18 months, in fact. Why? They found a document clearly labeled plan. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They're so smart. (laughs) It laid out everything. It had steps they were going to take. And then along the right-hand side of each page, how they would deal with whatever could go wrong during that stage. There was also a draft of a ransom note where they planned on asking for $2.5 million from the state of California for the safe return of all of the children. In actuality, they were going to ask for $5 million. And I know that this is the most important part. Um, I'm going to read you their ransom note that they drafted. <laughs> your bus, but your is spelled Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Your bus has been kidnapped. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh, it's good. Put two and a half million dollars in each of the suitcases. Use old bills. Have ready at the Oakland police station. Further instructions pending until 10.05 a.m. And then the a.m. was crossed out and p.m. was written above that. Sunday. We are Beelzebub. But this was also spelled incorrectly. Take suitcases to Oakland International Airport. Have CHP plane pick up and transfer at some and transfer some at apps 1,000 feet above ground level to Santa Cruz direct. Then follow Highway 17 back to Oakland International. Speed should be about 120 miles per hour estimated ground speed. Okay. Then they wrote out. Rest of message in five minutes and call Fred at other phone. Then they Yeah. Then they wrote, Fred calls and delivers final message. Watch for lights. Red, green, blue, red, green, blue, white. Then drop and return to Oakland International. End message. Okay. When this level of evidence was unearthed, you see what I did there? I didn't. Arrest warrants were issued for the three men together. Richard Schoenfeld turned himself right in. Fred Woods and James Schoenfeld fled California. Fred was captured after going north and entering Canada. (laughs) That's right. Don't mind us. But yeah, he went to Canada. Uh, He was arrested by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Vancouver, just over the Washington-Canada border. James was captured after trying to evade the police through western states. Now they could finally get down to what the motivation here was. These three came from wealthy families, yes, but it turns out that James and Fred were in some serious debt. James told police that they needed a lot of money at once, and they wanted millions so they figured that kids offered several benefits number one they could be found together in groups ideal for a large payout also children hang on (laughs) what i wrote also children and precious i meant children children are are precious. precious yeah thanks covid Uh, Secondly, children are precious, and the state of California would totally pay ransom for those sweet, innocent babies. Oh, and thirdly, the children wouldn't fight back. So they had a whole plan for a year and a half before finally doing it. So how did they fail so badly? (laughs) 
I'd love to tell you about these fucking idiots. When they tried to call in the ransom to the Chowchilla police, they literally couldn't get through because so many parents were calling (laughs) about their children. So they couldn't get through to the police department. The phones were jammed. And, you know, Sarah, they'd been up all night. They were really really tired. tired. (laughs) Yeah. It was crazy. They had been listening to kids screaming and crying, and then they had to bury the truck under debris and just, you know, to keep the kids captive. So they just decided to take a little nap. Checks out. And when they awoke, they saw in the news that everyone had been escaped. (laughs) (laughs) So they couldn't request their ransom. Geniuses. Just so smart. Oh, yeah. With the mountain of evidence, the men all pled guilty to 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom and robbery. However, the men refused to plead guilty to eight charges of bodily harm brought against them. Those charges would send them to prison for life without the possibility of parole. This meant some of the children had to face these assholes in court 16 months after their abduction. They testified that not only had they suffered emotional trauma, they had suffered cuts and bruises. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jody Heffington recalled about the witness stand. You're in this little box and they're looking at you, just glaring at you and staring you down. I looked over at them and I just broke down. That was the first time I'd cried. So they allowed my father to come sit by me and that made me feel a lot safer. Oh. Yeah. Jennifer said, the kidnappers were sitting to my left at a table. I remember giving my dad my gum because I told him I was going to spit my gum at him. (laughs) She also said about testifying, I answered my questions and I left that courtroom with my head held high. There was no way I was going to let them see me cry. In the end, the judge sentenced the three men to life in prison without parole. But this wasn't the end of the road yet. Four years after the kidnappings, the men's lawyers appealed the finding of bodily harm in the case based on the fact that the injuries didn't rise to the level of bodily harm under the law. The appellate court overturned the bodily harm charges. The men were resentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. Just two years after that, parole hearings began. Larry Park, who was six during the kidnapping, said he felt like he'd been betrayed by the justice system. Every time one of the men came up for parole, it triggered the fears and trauma in the children. All hearings took place inside the prison. Jody attended nearly every single parole hearing for each of the men. There have been over 60. Oh my God. Yeah. Jody said the first time she was terrified because they all sit in the same small room in the prison. She said it seemed like she was going every three years for each of the men. Richard Schoenfeld was the first person to be paroled after 36 years in June of 2012. In 2015, his brother James followed, but not Fred. Fred broke rules. He was caught with cell phones and pornography. (laughs) The survivors struggled to have normal lives at time. Or at times. At one parole hearing, Jody Heffington said, Mr. Woods, you're not a kidnapper. You're a thief. You're a thief of our lives. Not just the kids that were in the bus, but you stole our family's lives and what we all had before that. Larry Park said that healing continues if you allow it. He spent his 20s and 30s abusing drugs but now owns a handyman business and volunteers as a pastor at a local church. His nightmares have finally stopped, and he is nine years sober. Larry said that at one point in his life, before he became sober, he realized that his resentment for the kidnappers was killing him slowly. One night, he said he was lying in bed and asked God to help him forgive them, and he did. Larry met the men and shook their hands. He forgave them. He has a picture in this article I read standing next to Richard. No, thank you. Larry said it changed his life. Something washed someone and not like, you know, take a picture with them. Yeah. Something washed over me and there was peace like I'd never known. 
I knew that day that I would be okay. Jennifer said that her family, church family, and co-workers have piece by piece helped her put her life back together. She wants people to know that the little girl who was kidnapped and buried alive has managed to live a wonderful life. That's cute. Yeah. Michael Marshall said, I went to bed at 18, drunk and hungover and blacked out, and woke up about 48 with a hangover, blurry. Michael is now sober and has created a happy life as a father and a long-haul trucker. He said that he can never forgive the kidnappers for what they put his parents through. Jody never left the Chowchilla area. She opened her own hair salon and raised a son, but found it hard to find peace of mind. She said, how that day affected me has affected me every day in some way or another. I think it made me not a good daughter, not a good sister, not a good aunt, and especially not a good mother, and probably not a good friend. I try to be those things, but it seems like it took something from me that I can't ever get back, and I can't tear it down no matter how hard I try and no matter what I do. I would be a psychopath mom. Like, I'm a helicopter mom now. I don't think you are. Well, okay. With strangers. I have like, one. Around people. <laughs> I have one. Yeah. You're not yeah. one. <laughs> okay, valid. <laughs> He's first witness. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait. You no. do pretty good. Ella Jackson, BJ is a helicopter dad. Yes. That I Hardcore. Would, correct. I would call that, yes. Um, Jody passed away in January of 2021 at the age of 55. 14 months later, Fred Woods was paroled. And that's the story of the Chowchilla bus incident. I first heard about this case on Let's Go to Court. My favorite podcast. If you don't listen to them, please do. Kristen and Brandy are fucking hilarious and make me literally laugh out loud every single episode. And You do. Yes. And you can only hear this coverage um, for this case if you subscribe to their Patreon. So I know I'm plugging someone else's podcast. I just really love it. You do. But yeah, that's the Chowchilla bus incident. The fuck? I told you no one dies. I appreciate that. They always turn out fucked up individuals. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Okay, so their lives are just ruined. Cool. Cool story, bro. Long story short, I survived. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was like, that's the sticker down there for sure. Sorry, my eye is just... Thank you for quoting Taylor Swift on our podcast. That's so sweet of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's life-changing for some. Oh, my God. Yeah, what's up with your eye, bro? I don't know, man. You need eye drops? I think it was all that winking earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My try-in with my red eye. I still can't do it with my red eye. Yeah. It's really funny. Okay. Mine's an old case. Yeah. Isabella Ruxton was born in February 1901 in Scotland to John and Lizzie Kerr. There's little to report about her childhood because it was so long ago. Um, at a young age, she married a Dutchman named Van they separated quite early, and she met a gentleman named Buck Roxton. Wait, Van Ness? Van Ness. Van- so, like Jonathan Van Ness? V-A-N-E-S-S. Oh, Van Ness. Got it. Okay. I was thinking Van Ness. No, Van S. Got it. Okay. Understood. Thanks. Ye- then she met this Roxton fellow. Yep. Buck was born in Bombay and was very shortly married himself before getting divorced and moving to Britain, where he met Isabella. Their marriage was one of just common law that began in 1928. Within the first three years of marriage, they had three children. Oh, no. Get off me. <laughs> Get off Three me. in three years? That is no breaks. Your brother. <laughs> that's, yeah, but that's in eight, four in eight years. Um, They've had, it's like every, every two, two years. years. Yeah. That's still too much. That's too much. That's a lot. It's dedication. It is so many. Oh God. No, gross. <laughs> That's dedication. Get out of here. You uncomfortable now? Yeah. Icky. Okay. Um, so they lived in a really nice house that served as both, both the family residence as well as Buck's medical practice. Buck was obviously a doctor. His patients noted that he was compassionate, kind, and a diligent physician. On occasion, he would even waive his fees when patients couldn't afford to pay them for their medical treatments. 
I mean, that sounds nice, but I feel like we're going to learn bad things about this guy. Yeah, but he was a super good doctor. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh-huh. I was, and when you said he has his, fa- his practice at home, I was like, oh, like the family doctor down the road. <laughs> <laughs> did you show that to your mom? I don't know if I did. It's a trailer. There's a trailer out there that there just was a says big family, family doctor. doctor. And I was like, yeah, that's where your uncle cousin checks you out. <laughs> <laughs> that's your family doctor. Right? That's, that's not a doctor. But yeah, it now says like now open or now accepting new patients or something. I'm like, no. I'm okay. We're good. We're set. Thanks so much. Um, so business was booming. And their family, obviously expanding, Isabella and Buck hired a maid, Mary Jane Rogerson, to care for their children. Mary was born on September 15th, 1915, in Lancaster to James Rogerson and Jane Rogerson. Unfortunately, Mary was witness to the side of Buck only Isabella and their family saw. Buck regularly questioned Isabella's fidelity and was prone to violent outbursts when he became overly suspicious of her activities. Allegedly, Buck would suddenly go from composed to hysterical sobbing with self-pity. Oh, that's hot. I know. She's going to say, so sexy. What, you want a man? Right? Isabella would often pack her bags and go stay with her sisters. Buck would, of course, call bigger to come home, which she would then do. Um, in 1932, Isabella suffered a miscarriage after attempting suicide by an art gas asphyxiation. Oh my God. By what? Gas. Like in a car, you know? Oh, oh, yeah. In the garage and, oh, know. yeah. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. Uh, this caused another rift in their marriage and caused even more stress, stress between the couple. Ooh. The arguments between the couples would often get so loud that the neighbors would call the police. Even after police interventions, Isabella stayed. During one police interaction, Buck was reported stating, Sergeant, I feel like murdering two persons. My wife is going out to meet a man. I just know it. She's not. (laughs) She's not. She's going to her sister's house because you're awful to deal with. A smidge. In August 1945, the couple had one of the worst fights yet. Isabella traveled to see her sister in Edinburgh. A friend to her sister, Robert Edmondson, was an assistant editor in the local town hall. He was in her company. Oh. Buck had stayed home to run his medical practice, but was sure Isabella and Robert were having an affair and that this trip was just an excuse for the couple to meet behind closed doors. It led to another nasty argument. A month later, in September, Isabella decided she wasn't going to worry about her jealous husband and decided to go on another trip to her sister's. She returned home the night of September 14th, 1935, around 1130, and Buck was waiting for her. Grandma's birthday. Mm. Well, that's upsetting. <laughs> before she was born, though. Oh, yeah, way before. Yeah. Well, not that way. Wait, when? 1935? Eight. Yeah, eight years. Oh, sure. Sorry. Not that far. No, but you <laughs> said something about 1945 when they had a really bad fight. No, I said in, in August they had a really bad fight. Yeah, I thought you said August of 1945. Because I was like, oh, right in the middle of war, like right after World War II. Nope, I just said August. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I swore you said 1945 right afterward. All right. When we edit, if it did, take it out. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I swear I heard that because I was thinking about World War II. Okay. It's fine. Isabella returned home the night of September 14th, 1935, around 1130, and Buck was waiting for her. His paranoia got the best of him. He, in the front room of their home, he strangled, beat, and stabbed Isabella. It is presumed that the family's maid, Mary, witnessed the act, and she was also strangled and stabbed multiple times. Shit. Thankfully, the couple's three children were staying at a family friend's house, a fact that would later lead police to believe Buck had premeditated the entire crime. Mm. He then set to work obscuring the evidence in the most upsetting way possible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So not only did he chop up the body into various pieces, but he also mutilated them beyond recognition. Oh, my God. He cut them up to conceal any identifying marks on the two women's bodies. He, this, I'm so sorry. He then removed their eyes, ears, skin, lips, soft tissue, even numerous teeth, making identification by dental records or composite drawings impossible. 
Oh, my God. The only pair of hands that were found were missing fingerprints. The flesh was cleanly stripped away. The police were covering legs from one woman and thighs from the other that had been pared down to the bone. Oh, my God. So after dismembering the bodies like a fucking psychopath, he drove over 100 miles north to the Scottish uplands in the dark to dump the remains in the Golden Home Lynn stream. He then returned home to finish cleaning up, but not before being stopped by a police blockade in the town of Kendall on the Scottish-England border. They were looking for a vehicle that had struck a young man on a bicycle. Buck was let through without pause. The bicyclist had been hit by who, you may be wondering? By Buck on his way to dispose of the bodies. Yeah, I was like, he totally hit that person. he did. Just let him go? Yep. The bicyclist, whatever, he was fine. Um... The bike list? I sure said it. The rider. (laughs) After I said it, I was like, that's not a word. Uh, The rider was fine, and he was able to get the license plate number, but the police didn't check it when they let him through the blockade. Mm -hmm. Um, Buck, unaware that he had gotten his license plate information, began making up bullshit stories about where the other two women were. Of course, because she was so unfaithful, Isabel left him for another man. Sure. He even went to Mary's family's home. Stated she'd gotten pregnant by her boyfriend. The couple had broken into his safe and stole money. Then the pair ran off to have an abortion. Oh, my God. This guy's the worst. Sure trying. Um, Everyone knew it was bullshit, though. Eventually, the bodies were found. With his mutilation, the newspapers dubbed it the Jigsaw Murders. Um, Police initially believed it was five bodies instead of two. Oh, my God. So gross. Um, Police worked closely with the coroner to discover the identities of the body parts. Over a period of days, they realized they were looking at two women of different ages. Dental records were completely out of the question, but Buck hadn't completely obliterated the fingerprints and partial prints were obtained. They aged the maggots on the body by hiring an entomologist who then was able to provide an estimated time of death. This Skull sutures allowed them to age both their victims. Ugh. Both corpses contained broken bones, broken bones, bruises, congested lungs, stab wounds, blunt force trauma, and were noted to have been drained of blood during dismemberment. Ugh. He's gross. <laughs> so gross. Soon the link was made between the missing women and the two bodies. Police asked Mary's parents to identify clothing the bodies were wrapped in, and they immediately recognized her handiwork on a sewn patch on one of their daughter's blouses. Police found a picture of Isabella wearing a tiara, the one I showed you. Is that the one you showed your mom, too? Yeah. Yeah. They um, calculated... Let me see here. They calculated the distance from her to the camera, set up the same scenario with the recovered skulls and a tiara, and took a photo. The two photos were determined to be an exact match. With the rider's information of the bicyclist he hit, um, Buck's plates, and the knowledge of the couple's past, police quickly linked Buck's location and motive to the murders. On October 12th, Buck Ruxton was arrested and pleaded with the police not to make a big deal out of his arrest. Not to make a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want his patients to know. Motherfucker, not you murdered murder your wife <laughs> and your maid. He did eventually file a missing persons report on his wife because everybody was complaining, but it took him days to do so. It took him less than a month to get fully caught. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got a text from PJ. <laughs> Hang on. What did he say? <laughs> Hang on. Jack met a new friend. His name, dot, 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 Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. You know he's loving that. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Jackson, too. Um, That's down at the park? Yes. That's so cute. On October 12th, Buck Ruxton was arrested. Mm-hmm. Buck held on to the tale of his unfaithful wife and abortion for a teenage girl because Mary was only 19 when he murdered her. Um, he testified in a fit of hysterics during his trial. He's always crying. He's just a big bitch. Like, it's okay that you... Whatever. Yeah. You can have emotions. That's fine. You're Control just a yourself. needy bitch. <laughs> 
on October 13th and November 5th, Buck was charged with each woman's murder, respectively. On May 12th, 1936, Buck Ruxton was hanged for his crimes, then buried in an unmarked grave on prison grounds. That was a jigsaw murder, a savage sergeant. That's awful. He was a trash panda. Yeah. Sorry we call you that, love. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you just eat rocks. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Drinks puddles, you know. Wants to stay outside at all times. You're, still... Ugh. You're a little bit of a trash panda. <laughs> yeah, big trash panda. Is your head comfortable? Look at her. She's like choking herself on this table. That's why you're making weird noises. Stop it. Get your neck off that. All right, let's grab a drink and we'll come back and chitty chat. Okay. All right, hi. Okay, so um, reminder, my mom's here in case someone like skipped around. I don't know. Who knows? Um, I do that on podcasts. Yeah, for sure. So reminder, my mom's here. So she's sitting near me and my mic. So hopefully it can pick her up. Hi, y'all. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, you want to tell her what you were telling me about the, what I said wrong? Oh, so, I think it was your last podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, Samantha, I believe I've only heard that it's not considered a medicine, a poison, mm-hmm. pronounced as strychnine, not strychnine. I called oh. it strychnine. And she's oh. like, I've only heard it called strychnine. I'm like, oh, shit, that sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard of it at all. Yeah. I also forgot what episode that was. <laughs> yeah, that was the last one. Um, that was the one before the last one, Samantha. Oh! Well, this is being released. Right, but the last one that we actually released at this time. But yes, yes we have another recorded after that. But she wouldn't have heard that. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying for the audience. <laughs> yeah. It's two episodes ago. Whatever. <laughs> Did you like the cinnamon rolls? Yes, why? Okay. I just wasn't sure. Because you just had one. I just had a little bite. Yeah. It's because I was full from popcorn. That's fine. Jackson went to his first movie. Yeah. You guys saw Super Mario Brothers. I'm kind of jealous. It was good. Yeah. I actually liked it. I want to go see that. I want to go see the Barbie movie when it comes out. Mm, I don't. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be really funny. Like, What was your first movie in theaters? um, Batman. Batman at the age of three. Two. You told me yesterday, oh, that's too. that's right. It came yeah. out in 1989. Yes. Ryan was in my tummy. Yeah. I would never take a two-year-old to <laughs> Yeah, it, we were here in Texas, too. Mm-hmm. Like, down here in Dallas somewhere. Um, I went to my first movie. That's weird. That is weird. I went to Pokemon. That was my first movie. How old were you? Like, six. Okay. The, the first one I remember. Yeah. Well, I also went to go see Jurassic Park in theaters, and that came out in 93. I so was I was six. And I was one. I was six years old going to watch <laughs> Jurassic Park. You still quote that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. So Jackson's going to quote Super Mario Brothers for the rest of time. No. I think he'll already have forgotten most of it. <laughs> nah, he's got that jump down pat, though. <laughs> yeah, he does do the, the one-up jump. It's so cute. <laughs> also, he jumps... So high. <laughs> he thinks so. We ask him to jump as high as he can. And he like goes to jump, but he also points his toes so he doesn't really leave the ground at all. And oh. you're like, oh, you jumped so high, buddy. He's like, I know, watch. Watch. Yeah. yeah. Watch. Look at me. <laughs> so cute. But yeah. So um, the Dallas Museum of Art uh, was super cool. Like they had all kinds of like really old paintings. Like, I was just, like, sitting there, and I'm like, Pablo Picasso touched this. Like, that painting was done by Pablo Picasso. It was just, like, mind-blowing for me. Um, You said it was free? Yeah, the museum's free. You just pay for parking. And so they have the museum itself, which has a ton of, like, free exhibits that you can see. No. And then the Clyde Warren Park is right next to it. And they have food truck lane. So they have tons of food trucks there for you to like eat. And they have like tables and things set up on the grass. And then there's a sculpture garden like near it. So like there's a couple different cool things down there. Um, 
there's like artifacts and stuff. Yeah, they have lots countries. of like, um, like we walked through like the African exhibits and they had a really cool display on like um, Indian um, like religion. They were going, they had a ton of like Buddha statues and they explained like the history and kind of the theology behind Buddhism. And it was pretty cool to like, to like walk around and see all that stuff. But yeah, no, the museum was super cool. Um, I think it would be something where like we would have to go without Jack. Like, I don't think there's enough to entertain him. He's yeah, going to want to touch stuff. Wanna, like I, I, I couldn't even wear my backpack on my back. I was not allowed to. They literally had people who walked up and said, you have to wear that on your front or hold it. Why? So that I don't bump into anything. Oh, that makes sense. So true. There were a lot of things where I was like, oh, if this were on my back, I definitely would have run into that. Um, just did, kind of the way it's laid out, I guess. What's that other museum we did like with for the kids? Perot? Yeah. Natural History Museum. I need to take him again. Yeah, that's just a couple blocks away. No. Did you get your picture with the Taylor Swift mural? No, I didn't see it on like while we were driving and I was like, I don't really remember where it is. So it was on the way to the aquarium. Yeah. We were down around that. I just don't know what block it's on. Did you guys go look at all those pretty outside stuff? That we drove past when we were going to the aquarium that you were like, I want to take my mom here. It was like a hotel or a business or something. And it had like beautiful sculptures outside and waterfall thing. And you have no idea what I'm talking about. No, I'm very lost. We did assume the no. We didn't do the sweet tooth <laughs> hotel. We didn't do that. Wait, what are you doing? Come here. Um, hang on. This is all my list. So we went to Texas Roadhouse. Oh, you got to go to your Texas Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love their butter. It, <laughs> it was actually like super good. Steak yeah. was so good too. Yes, like very tender. Yeah, it was really nice. The Arboretum. Yes. You said yeah. That. Yeah, we went there. That We did that on Thursday. Um, that was really fun. Like we packed like a picnic lunch and like ate on the grass out there. They actually encourage you to like bring picnic stuff in. I'm going to murder you. Y'all are annoying. Lie down. She's like on Potter. I will put you outside. God, they're so cute. (laughs) Oh my God. Potter's not liking it. No, but it's so cute. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sorry. We're just like, oh my God, they're so annoying, but this is the best. Um, Yeah, the Arboretum was super pretty. And yeah, they encourage you to like bring stuff in. Um, it was like, they have lots of like benches and like gazebo areas with waterfalls and like, they had really, really beautiful stuff. Um, we saw these really pretty trees that we like, we saw them behind something else. So we like went out of the way to go back and like go try to find them. Um, they ended up being Japanese maple trees and there's, uh, there's this couple, yeah, there's apparently hundreds of varieties. They do greens and reds for the maple. Um, I liked the red ones. And so I might order one online to put in the back because they do. Oh, her cigarettes. Very smart. Yeah, she totally would. She's she stuck. stole them out of my hand. Yeah, that was crazy. I could not believe she took them out of your hand and then she bolted. I was like, "You bitch, are you actually addicted to these?" This. Uh, you might get one for the backyard. Yeah, because they they do well with like morning sun and afternoon shade, and so that's perfect for the backyard. Um, yeah, so that'll be exciting. I really want to get one. They this couple like stopped and were. This couple like stopped and they were talking to us about um, this website that they get maple trees from. They're obsessed with them and like they were talking to us about the different varieties and so it was cool. But yeah, it was really beautiful. I want to go back and like take a book. Like I I keep making plans for just you and me where BJ and Jack are not involved. But I'm like, <laughs> you know what would be really great, Sarah, is if we packed a picnic lunch you could go read a book in some gazebo. I'll go read in a different gazebo and we'll go meet up somewhere in the <laughs> middle. And it's so pretty. We'll just take up two gazebos? Well, yeah, you get your own space. 
It's and they're shaded a lot and they're of quiet. Benches. Yeah. There's just a lot of nice area and shady area. And... Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed. It was really cool. Yeah. If you sat on the lawn, you probably have to bring a few layers of blanket because they keep things pretty, pretty well watered. So like pretty moist. Not. You can't say moist. moist. You can't say moist. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the most hated word in the world. I'm yes. pretty sure. Yes. No one likes it. Moist. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? It to be a little more. Yeah. Uh, but yes. So when we had sat down, um, even like outside, like by my car in the grass, we went to go get up and the blanket was like damp. So... Are you guys going to be gardening after this when we leave? Yeah. Yep. Uh, we went and bought flowers. We're going to tear up stuff. Is your ground moist? <laughs> <laughs> we hope it is. I turned on the sprinklers. So, yeah. I hope she has a shovel. Yeah, I got a... I don't remember if I still have a shovel. Like, I don't know if I got rid of it when I moved. Oh, yeah. Because you went to an apartment. Yeah, but I kept some of my lawn stuff. Really? I got rid of all my. I didn't. I regret it now. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was some stuff that was kind of expensive. So I was like, well, if I wouldn't want to pay this much money for it, but I don't remember if I put the shovel. I hear it. I didn't remember if I put the shovel like with my keep stuff or not. But when I saw shovels yesterday, I think they were sixty bucks, like big yeah, ones. Yeah, like a a big garden shovel, like one that stands and you put your foot on and push it oh, into the ground. Not like one. No, not a trowel. Okay. <laughs> Real words. I'm, yes. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I've got new gardening gloves so that I can like dig in and kind of use my hands because I don't want to mess up the sprinkler system. Valid. I need gloves to rip out the weeds, but in the back of I got area. two pairs. Are they for baby hands? No, they're mediums. Okay. Well, then I couldn't use them. Well, my other pair is too small, so you can oh, have can them. Have, okay. Yes. Um. Yeah, I bought kids' gloves in the winter. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, your hands are so tiny. Like, I got them for Jackson, and then they were a little too big, and I was like, oh, I bet they'll fit me. Yeah. They do. <laughs> um, oh, but also, while she was here, we also went to, like, some baking supply stores oh. to look for some specialty stuff um, that they did not have. So yeah. now we're going to check Amazon. Um. Oh my god, and we got new shoes. We went and got pedicures in McKinney. So nice. No, we were in Allen. I like Allen. Yeah. But yeah, we went there. To the cute Allen or like regular Allen? Um, cute Allen. I think I mean the where we went when I came to visit. Yeah, the outlet mall yeah. was um well, no, not down there. That's Richardson. Oh. Richardson has those good restaurants and stuff. Where we got the crepes? Yes. I'll always remember that crepe. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, we could go back. We live here. <laughs> yeah, but I'll I always remember that one time we went that one place. We can't go again. It was really cute. You got a picture with a duck. I did. You know, if you wouldn't have taken your pants off, we could go back. What? It was going to be funnier before we talked about the duck. Because <laughs> I was, we were talking about how we couldn't go back there. And it was said, yes, if you hadn't taken your pants off, I bet we could go back. It's gone now. I know. The moment's passed. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's all getting cut. I would leave it because you sound stupid. <laughs> Rude. There are some things that we keep on like, <clears throat> you should hear our bloopers. It's 90% Samantha burping. Yeah. And us just continuing to talk like it didn't happen. Like, Yeah. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, there's... I love the one where we end the episode and you're like, I got to poop. <laughs> you're like, are we done? I'm like, yeah, I got to poop. <laughs> yeah. Dad definitely texted me after that one. It was like, didn't need to know that. <laughs> didn't need to tell everyone. I was like, I know, but it happened. We have in our bloopers one where I farted and then told Potter. Potter, I farted. <laughs> yeah. It was really funny. You can't hear it. And then there's one where Samantha does it on the microphone. I stood to get up and it just happened. <laughs> so loud. It was really funny. We're um, grown ups. <laughs> oh my God. We went back to that pie place where I got the oh, key lime pie. That smelled like a sewer. Okay. Still smelled like a sewer. I was going to talk to you about that when we left. Oh, I didn't. Yes. I probably wasn't breathing for a moment. It, you must not have been because I walked in and I was like, 
I want to leave. <laughs> Your pie is so good, but I want to leave. It smells like sewer. Yeah. I don't understand. They had a pie mm-hmm. called the Bonnie and Pied. Oh, that's adorable. It was so good. My mom almost didn't want to get it because it it said it was coffee and chocolate flavored. And she was like, oh, I don't like coffee flavored things. But she drinks coffee. She likes coffee. But she wasn't sure about it. And I was like, it has a graham graham cracker caramel crust. Oh, yummy. Yeah. It it was so good. Yeah. Was it light coffee flavor? Yeah. It wasn't. Not heavy. I want to try it. Yeah. It was very, very good. Because I'm like you. I don't like. That's like I don't like banana flavored things. Yeah. Oh, I love banana flavor. Gross. <laughs> I like. Fake I respect banana. your. Opinions. I like real banana, but I like fake banana too. Uh, <laughs> the face. Oh, there was a chocolatier I wrote down, and this says the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge. I don't know what that is. Oh, that was. Um, I saw it when I was looking up places for us to go. I said it'd probably be just something that would be pretty at night, really. And actually, when we're driving somewhere, I kind of feel like I saw it off in the distance. Okay. Well, I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Check it off the list. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we did all the things. I know. I feel like I live here and there's there's so many things I haven't done. Yeah. Well, I haven't. I don't do a lot of them until someone comes to visit. And then I'm like, well, yeah, we got to go see something. Like, I'm perfectly content to be in my house. And have I mean, those things as an option. My cousin came and all she wanted to do was be at my house. She wanted to organize my house. Yeah, but that's because she's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we like her. Then we went to the aquarium for Jack's birthday. Yeah, which also smelled like a sewer. So busy. Yeah, it was the worst. It was, our, my dad was like, my dad's just used to making sure people don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. So he like stands behind me or to the side of me to make sure people don't touch me. Yeah. yeah. But... I don't think he enjoyed himself either. I don't think anybody enjoyed themselves except for Jackson. And there was very little fish. Yeah. For an aquarium, very little fish. Lots of birds. Lots of, yeah. No. She was like, should, is that a place we wanted to go? And I was like, no, we're not wasting our money. No, it's a waste. Yeah. Jack liked it. That's all that mattered. But I was thoroughly disappointed. Yeah. I want to go to the one in Georgia. Yes. That one's supposed to be amazing. I don't know how many hours it is, but we should look it up and see about a road trip. Mm, I do enough road trips to go home. Yeah. I don't know how far it is, though. I'm curious. Um, New Orleans is only eight. Only. Only. You're not driving with a five-year-old in the car. I'm I'm aware of that. Driving with a five-year-old in the car is... (laughs) I changed my mind. I'm out. No, he actually does very well. Yeah. Surprisingly well. I still want to be out. But he also has Hades. Yeah. And he talks to the dog. <laughs> That's got to be so cute. I mean, oh, he Max. sings to him, which is funny. <laughs> um, okay. It is a quick... Yeah, starting from home. How far is it? I'm looking that up. It... Eleven and a half hours. No, thank you. Mm-mm. No, I'll fly. I mean, yeah, there's that too. I need to get my dad's dogs used to Hades, so I can just leave them with him. Yeah. My dad's one dog is terrified of Hades. Really? Yes, because he's bigger than her, oh. so it scares her. Yeah. He just looks at her, and she's like, <gasps> "Like he's not gonna hurt you." All right. I've seen him snap at one dog ever, and that was Lavender when she was a puppy, and she bit his wiener. So, <laughs> and he didn't even snap. He just went... <laughs> yeah, like, the fuck? He, he yelled at her. He used to yell at her a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he never she snapped had to at learn. her. But he did yell at her. Mm-hmm. She would get real close to his wiener. <laughs> yeah. She does not care. She scratched it. She bit oh, it. Oh, yeah. Aww. Poor babe. He didn't do well. No. Potter... You're okay. Is it Hades? Yeah. He's just, hello. This is a good recording. It was. Are you ready for me to stop? You want to say bye-bye? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's weird. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Doom Crew today. We hope you enjoyed our spooky and humorous take on true crime. As always, we want to remind you to follow us on social media. 
You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Doom Crew Podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us improve the show and reach more listeners who share our spooky sense of humor. So until next time, stay curious, stay spooky, and remember to always look over your shoulder. This has been the Doom Crew, signing Signing off. off. Can we just do one fucking take?